just really briefly, uh, moving on to chapter two. Um, chapter two, obviously, the first thing that springs to our mind in chapter two is uh, verses six to 11, speaking of the um, stoop that the Lord Jesus made. But really, the whole context of that wonderful um, statement about the, the grace of the Lord Jesus is in the context of helping us understand how our attitude should be in order that we can be effective as disciples of the Lord Jesus serving together in a church of God. So our key message, how to keep together and serve together in a church of God. And the key verse being, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It really kind of hits you in the face. This introduction that Paul is giving was all about the gospel. And our key messages were, the gospel is good news. And we were saying how that we, more latterly, have invented something called a gospel meeting. And unwittingly, in the process, redefined and shrunk what the gospel is, just to the message about how to be saved. Actually, that's not the intent at all. The, the true gospel is all about God's purposes, all of God's purposes for us. We talked about another key message. It's exhaustively described in the Bible. And that means if there are elements appearing, perhaps in, a, in, in other churches, that are adding to what is in the Bible, then that is a counterfeit gospel. And we should be very sensitive about sticking strictly to um, how the gospel is described in the Bible. It's the key to living to the full, the life uh, God intended for you. Um, so, yes, it starts with getting saved, which is fabulous, but that is the start of a journey. And the journey is about us realising uh, our full potential and realising God's aspirations for us, both individually and also as we serve together in a community. And uh, believe it or not, we are God's choice today to be the vehicle to spread the gospel in the world. And uh, sometimes you might think, well, couldn't he have chosen something better? <laughs> well, um, it's not that in any way God is dependent uh, on us at all, of course not. But certainly we as Christians and as his people are a key vehicle that he's chosen to use. And therefore we have a responsibility, an obligation an opportunity, a privilege to do uh, all of those things. That's kind of where we got in, um, in chapter 1. So now moving on to chapter 2, and I love the image because you've got Paul reflecting, um, remembering the individuals in the church in Philippi and all that they'd done for him. He'd spent some time with Lydia and her family in her posh house. He'd spent some time with the jailer and his family in his not-so-posh house because it was part of a prison. Um, and he's reflecting back on uh, these lovely characters that he's known for 10 years and he's uh, delivered this great introduction reminding them of the breadth and depth and privilege of, of the gospel and now uh, what does he do? Well we're into um, our second section in our uh, kind of breakdown which is getting the right mindset and it's a, a discussion around Philippians 2. So let's read Philippians 2, shall we? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, 
if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked, depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out for the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, but I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I can to see how things go to see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. <coughs> But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may, ha I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Um, and I, it's a, it's a, it really does read um, like a, a letter of a, a man who has a very real affection for the people that he's writing to. Um, I've got five key points that I would like to try and get across in the next 25 minutes or so. And uh, we'll see how we get on with that. Um, the first is, and, and what I've tried to do is make a, a statement that captures the point. And the statements are kind of fairly carefully worded, um, trying to capture as much as I can in the thought. So I apologise if it looks a bit wordy, but maybe you'll get the point. 
First of all, the, Paul has really moved on from the personal. Uh, that's the start of his message about the gospel. It starts with a personal conviction. Um, so now what we are talking about is in the context of a thriving church of God, which we think to the, a large extent Philippi was. It had its issues, as we'll discover later on, but um, for the most part it was a thriving church of God. And his first point is our personal, uh, sorry, my first point is our personal experience of the benefits of Jesus' companionship demonstrates that his attitude is the best attitude. Point two is about the attitude of the Lord Jesus. We'll come to that. But why would we take any notice of um, the character and attitude of the Lord Jesus? What is it that's so special about him? And I would say that these first few verses are a link in Paul's argument from his experience of the breadth of the gospel and from a personal and a church perspective, it's had a tremendous impact on his life. In fact, it's changed his life completely, changed his direction completely. He has been in prison. He now fi finds himself long-term, maybe two and a half years in prison, um, albeit house arrest in Rome. And he's gone through all kinds of experiences. And the um, product of his experience of Jesus' love demonstrates to him here is a man worth imitating. I think that's the, the point I'm trying to make here. And you get it from that introductory passage. If you have an, any encouragement from being united with Christ, and he's just been describing all the difficulties he's faced, and they have too, um, that he's become aware of through Epaphroditus' visit to him. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And then I've kind of stolen a verse from the end of the chapter, that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. Um, he talks about um, the work of God having been started in the lives of, the, of his friends in Philippi, and God's going to carry it, carry it on to completion. And what he's saying to them is, for us to be effective, we really need to stop in our tracks and calibrate ourselves against the ultimate standard, which is the person of the Lord Jesus. And there were issues in the church, as we'll discover, that some people had an attitude problem. An attitude problem um, with themselves, in terms of their own attitude, which was having a negative impact on the unity of the church. And I, I would just say, isn't that so relevant to us today? That we're all uh, a collection of individuals from different backgrounds, different contexts, just like Philippi was. We've all got our own um, conviction about how things should be done and what's right and what's wrong. And um, we're so at risk to uh, fall out with each other and thereby spoil the effectiveness of, um, of our service together. And what Paul was saying is just reflect on how you've got to where you've got to. And if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and these people were disparate people being brought together, and there's a unity about them that 
under any other circumstances would never have happened. And they've celebrated that. You've got the, the jailer and the entrepreneur, Lydia, completely different backgrounds, completely different interests in life, and they're brought together in a, a common purpose, brought together um, through the reach of the gospel. And he's saying, if you have any encouragement from that unity, um, if you have any comfort from his love, they would have been through a lot of difficulties, just like Paul had described in his own circumstances. If you have any fellowship with the Spirit, this is the experience that they had of the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives individually and collectively. If these things are um, your own experience because of the Lord Jesus, if you have any tenderness and compassion, you know, if, if that is now kind of rubbing off onto you and that's your experience too, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. I think there's, it's a bit of an ambiguous statement. Is he saying at this stage we should be like-minded, have the same mind as Christ? Or is he encouraging them to, have, to be like-minded with each other for unity? I think it's the latter at this stage. So he's saying, you know, it's Christ that binds us together. Um, be united with each other in celebrating the impact that the Lord Jesus has had on your lives so far. And it's kind of a cheeky little uh, comment that comes in at the end, that I may boast um, on the day of Christ that, um, that I did not labour, um, I did not run or labour for nothing. Um, it's a message to leaders here that um, one thing we should be looking out for in our church is a unity. And Paul's prayer and his aspiration, make my joy complete. You can just imagine him reflecting on the tremendous impact the gospel had on these people. And they've been brought together and they're serving, they're doing pretty well. But there's evidence of some disunity with them. And he's saying, reflect back on your experience of the Lord and um, be united. Um, and um, then on the day of Christ... I'll be able to boast that actually it wasn't what Paul had done. It's what the Lord had done through Paul. And it was, uh, it was, it had, it had arrived at its potential. Um, and that is a church um, united together and serving God. So for me, that's the introduction to our second key message, um, which is, probably what all of us would default to when we think of Philippians 2. And the second key mes message is his, that's the Lord Jesus. Humility sets the benchmark for us all. A mindset that is um, counterintuitive to our own nature and the opposite to a modern worldview of how to pursue success. It's really interesting that... Um, I work for a big American corporation and they, the hierarchy right at the top, they, they lecture at Harvard on how um, co successful corporations should be run. And um, they encourage us to read um, papers that come out of Harvard. And there's one paper that analyzes the five of the top 15 CEOs chief executive officers of the biggest companies in the US. And um, the message is, and it talks about, I think, three or four key characteristics of these very effective businessmen. 
And um, curiously, a significant proportion of them have two key um, characteristics that bubble to the top. Um, one is grit determination. And uh, they have a, a vision and a resolve to deliver on the vision. And the second is a humility. So they are very much the drivers and the leaders, but they have a tendency to be in the background. Um, it's kind of ironic because I'm encouraged to read that stuff. And actually, as I think about um, effective businessmen in the fellowship, um, I'll name no names, but you can think of them yourself going back in history. Actually, that is a characteristic. There is a, a resolve, a grit, determination, maybe to get their own way, perhaps, but it's accompanied by a humility, a kind of self-effacing thing. The irony is, in my company, it seems to be managed by people who have massive egos. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they perhaps should re read the article themselves. And... Um, and I'm kind of many, many rungs down, so don't interact with them, really. But you hear some stories which are very much just driven about making really um, what look to be shallow decisions in support of their own ego and promotion. Um, just another little work anecdote. We have a, a policy about succession planning, and we're encouraged to... Um, identify what we call high pots. This is people with high potential. Um, and they get special uh, treatment, training, this kind of stuff. Reminds me of Daniel. Daniel was a, a high pot and was given special attention, wasn't he, in his life story, maybe Joseph a little bit as well. Um, we have a Cully McGreen chart, and everyone wants to know, are they on the Cully McGreen chart? Because that means they're a high pot if they are. Um, <laughs> And then they get this expression that the individual is upwardly mobile. And actually, you think, well, yeah, you know, that's someone who's going places in the career. In contrast, and the point I'm making here is a mindset that is counterintuitive to our nature and the opposite to a modern world view on how to pursue success. This describes a person who is downwardly mobile. And I think it's a real lesson for us we're being asked to reflect on him and align ourselves to him and that is so contrary to the encouragement we're getting from the world around us your attitude should be the same as that of christ jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. David mentioned the point yesterday when he was touching on this subject, David Woods that is, um, and I'd heard it too, that maybe this was an early Christian song that Paul was quoting perhaps something that they'd sang in the remembrance. Um, be that a, as it may, it is a, a lovely meditation. Um, obviously, spirit-led meditation. It's in, the, it's in the scriptures. It's divinely inspired. And it's you know, where we go to when we want to reflect on the humility of Christ. And I would just 
encourage us to make it our own. Um, brothers and sisters, make this a, a topic of our offerings on a Sunday morning. It's a key chapter to go to. It's really lovely to explore it today in its context. Paul building up a, an argument about the unity of the church. And he's bringing his friends in Philippi back to the ultimate reference point. And he's describing the uh, eternal son of God and how uh, he was downward, downwardly mobile. So um, make that your own meditation and the stuff of your, the fruit of lips as we seek to worship God. My third point is perhaps a little bit unexpected and it's appreciate and celebrate the eternal deity of the Lord Jesus. If you ever come across a, a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, um, the starting point if they're knocking on the door, obviously our natural thing is to introduce ourselves as um, born-again Christians, that's what I normally do, and their eyes light up and say, oh great, we've got so much in common. <laughs> um, they don't ac accept or acknowledge the deity of the Lord Jesus. They see him as uh, a very good anointed prophet, but he's a man. And maybe there's just a little hint that we could forgive them for putting that spin on Philippians 2. Um, but Philippians 2 also has to be seen in the context of what the scripture teaches doctrinally about the eternal deity of the Lord Jesus. A um, couple of verses from Colossians, they speak about the supremacy of Christ. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. I remember Mrs. Prasher taught me this in a Friday night Bible class when we used to go to the Prashers when I was a student. And we were struggling with this, what does this grasping thing mean? And she said something to be held onto at all costs. That is how she saw it. Um, I don't know whether that those previous verses are a hymn. Um, I don't know whether they're just Paul's spontaneous, spirit-led reflections on the condescension of the Lord Jesus. I would encourage us to, to write our own reflections. This is a piece of homework that you don't have to have submitted or marked. But um, I think it's really worth the exercise. Lock yourself away. Meditate on this amazing truth elaborated for us in Philippians 2 and write it in your own words and there's nothing you know, I've got very limited experience of this as you'll see but there's nothing better than being able to in your own words for your own benefit um, try and put it you know, these things that the Lord has taught us in our own um, meditations I actually felt compelled one day to write a hymn, <laughs> and there's a funny story because when it got submitted to the hymn book committee, the feedback was, um, it's rather Rupert-esque. <laughs> I don't know whether you know what that means, but there's a, a cartoon in the Daily Express about Rupert the Burr, and it's really cheesy rhyme, 
So it kind of got rejected on the basis of it being rather Rupertesque. So uh, I took it on the chin. <laughs> but here's the chorus, and it's it's a Stevie expression. You know, maybe it's Rupertesque, but um, the theme of the hymn was the Son of Man. In all the different aspects of the Son of Man, as it appealed to me. But the chorus is: "Born as the Son of Man, by God's eternal plan, keeps hold of deity." He doesn't let go of that, but reaches down to me. My voice I gladly raise to sing his worth and praise, honour and majesty for his eternally. I think it's a fundamental doctrine of Christian faith and we need to make it our own. Philippians 2 is a component to that and I just encourage us to make it our own and explore the eternal deity of the Lord Jesus in the context of the whole of scripture. We're on to number four. In the context of a thriving church of God, uh, demonstrate we are saved people by cultivating a sacrificial attitude of heart and mind that is seen in a community engaged in God-glorifying activity. I don't know whether that rings a bell, Mr. Woods. Um, I tried to capture some of the um, things that David was saying in his ministry yesterday because I think he's also practicing this try and write it down and, and wordsmith it um, but this expression um, and I probably got it a little bit wrong David but um, he was he was on this verse continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and of course um, we all get kind of muddled is this challenging or eternal security is it is it salvation by faith you know you've got to work for your salvation of course we don't have to work for our salvation it's all about um, living in a way that demonstrates we're saved and we're working out our salvation and people who observe the way we are together the way we are as individuals they're left either celebrating if they're Christians or curious if, they, if they're not and they ask us questions about it it's, um, it's working out our salvation and of course yesterday it was in the context of joy that they would see a joy about us that is very um, distinctive and the expression that David helped me with yesterday uh, to help understand what continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling means is demonstrate we are saved people. <laughs> so by our lives, by our behaviour, by what we do together, the way our church is in terms of welcoming people, the way our services are, um, make sure we cultivate a sacrificial attitude of heart and mind that is seen in a community engaged in God-glorifying activity. It's rich stuff. Um, and I would say that, to me, seems to be the product of someone who's meditated on it. And I just encourage us all to do that. Again, um, there have been isolated examples in our assembly, which we should thank the Lord for, of people who have joined us and are still with us. And... You know, so often when we think about reaching out to other Christians, I think the people I've got in my mind, probably the ones you've got in your mind too, we're already Christians, already saved people. Um, often we think about the way to reach out as a church to other saved people is to kind of beat them up with doctrine and say, you've got it wrong. And, you know, well, actually, I think I'm, I'm right in saying without exception, and we've got several of these cases, 
the attraction to the church was the warmth that they felt. And um, I would say it's to our sisters' credit more than anything because they do things in this community um, that reaches out to the community that most of us brethren don't really have a part in. And they, they demonstrate the love and the warmth of Christ in a way that is a magnet to other people. And the ones that have come to us are already saved people. And I think there's an element of that here. We should celebrate that, but not be complacent because we have issues as well. And uh, those issues need to be uh, addressed. So it's to us as a church, continue <coughs> to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we come to our final point for chapter two, which um, is really the second half of the chapter. And it, it's, it's leaving what I could say is the very precious but quite heavy stuff. And Paul's going into a dialogue now about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And the statement is, being linked, I should say in service, sorry, being linked in service with other churches of God across the globe, we can know each other and support each other. That is real, practical Christian fellowship. I feel very privileged to have done a bit of traveling in the fellowship. And actually, as you know, we've, as a family, been in other churches of God. And we met, uh, for the first time in many years, we met um, Gwen Jones yesterday. And instantly, you know, it was like 15 years all disappeared and we were kind of back on the same plane. Keith and Gwen and their family were hugely influential to us. Uh, great friends when our little ones were little ones. Um, there's something very special about the fellowship. I can go to... Denver, Colorado, that, not that I've been there very recently, and instantly, you know, the rapport is there straight away. It's very unique. Um, I was really saddened to get the call, probably not so surprised from David Gray this morning about Go Call How. Um, and straight away, I, I'm, I feel so privileged to be able to uh, recount, uh, re remember this. Um, I went to see him. Um, he lives two minutes walk from the church in Moon Lai, um, in a very typical um, Chin Hills house. It's made of um, wood. And I said to David, um, will you come with me? And he said, no, I'm too busy. I have to go yourself. And so he says, you'll be fine. You know, he's, and, and I know Goko how probably the way most of us do, as a, he was a Lord's servant, recognised in the 1970s. And uh, one of those names that always gets talked about, but you don't necessarily kind of um, know much more than that about him. So I go along to his house and there's a, a young lady there who didn't speak English. So I just say, go call how? And she kind of nods and says, come in. And I kind of step in and he's asleep on, a, on the mat on the floor. And this is a man in his 70s. And he's got a t-shirt and, and shorts on. I say, don't, don't disturb him. I know, I know he's poorly. And so she wakes him up, you know, and, and says, no, you'll be delighted. And uh, so uh, he speaks um, perfect English, actually perfect English, really articulate, which is very unusual for them. And we just had a great chat. I can remember saying, 
tell you about who I am. I know a little bit about you. Can you give me your testimony? That's the only thing I could think of. And he told me his life story in about five or ten minutes. Just very special. And that's um, an instant bond that is unique to the fellowship. And that is... Um, that framework is woven throughout Paul's letters, especially Philippi. And he talks about Timothy, and that's a mutual acquaintance, acquaintance that they've both got respect for. He talks about Epaphroditus um, the, the, as a mutual acquaintance that they've got respect for. And they're in Greece, he's in Rome, and you know Greece and Rome were a lot further apart in those days than they are today in terms of ease of travel and that kind of thing. So for me, it just demonstrates the uniqueness of the fellowship to which we belong and we ought to uh, we, we live in I was talking to Paul yesterday we, we live in very special times where um, travel and communication is so easy and it's our opportunity to make the most of um, of the global community that we're a part of the verse I mean it could have been any of the verses in the last part of the chapter Paul says I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour him, and honour men like him. You have the sense that Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus was a, um, a brother in the church in Philippi, who had the, the means... Uh, time, whatever else, to make the journey. So they're perhaps a relatively wealthy church. They know Paul's dependence on gifts. So they send Epaphroditus across to Rome with a gift. And Paul is writing the letter partially because of that gift. And, uh, and all of the memories about his friends in Philippi come back to him. And uh, while he's there, Epaphroditus is ill, and somehow the church in Philippi discovers that, and of course they're really anxious about him, naturally, and in God's grace he recovers, and Paul now has the opportunity to write a letter that would be hand-delivered by Epaphroditus. I just think it's a, it's a, a great illustration of the church of God today. Obviously we have different means of communicating, but we're that very special community, and we have the opportunity for relationships um, with people around the globe. And let's not lose sight of chapter one, relationships founded on the glorious grace of the gospel of Christ, which is not just about being saved, it's about understanding and fulfilling God's entire plan for us. So there you have it. Um, for me, under the banner, getting the right mindset, uh, the key points from chapter 2.